0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Now, you can sign up for free at Audible.com and you will receive a credit that you can use to download an audiobook. And even if you cancel your membership, you can still keep the audiobook forever. That's at Audible.com. I was sitting down at a, a lunch dinner with my cousins down by the ocean down Bayswater Way that's sort of the southern part of Melbourne down there where most of um, the inner city people in Melbourne you know like to go for a quick day trip uh, down to the ocean and so they uh, my auntie has a you know a really cool house down there and uh, so I was sitting down there, I had my cousins, you know, the tables, and weirdly enough the conversation came around to this podcast. It's going to sound really strange, um, but for some reason, and this is going to sound really strange, and when I say strange I mean kind of stupid, uh, but we're it's a safe place, right? So, you know, we're good. I am very much aware and used to people listening to this around the world. By the way, big hello to people in Japan for some reason. This has gone a bit crazy in Japan. So a uh, big hi to everyone listening in Japan and the rest of the world as well. Um, but I just, I saw that. So that's, that's pretty cool. So I look at that and, you know, I see Japan. Um, what I don't anticipate is my own cousins. Um, you know, mentioning that they listened to this as well. And sure enough, um, they did. And one of the interesting perspectives that they said to me was it was really nice to sort of hear the stories of another part of Australia when, I, you know, when I was growing up, as it was an interesting perspective on what they were doing in their lives, um, inner city people in Melbourne. And. They were uh yeah, they listened to the podcast and I listened to the episodes like that, so it was it was a really good conversation and and I was a little humbling uh to to that, so big hi um to my cousins that are listening right now, and um i I feel reinvigorated, and if you don't mind, I'll probably every now and then take a little bit of a more of a memory lane down you know the 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 country lifestyle of Australia. Uh, during uh, growing up I don't have anything planned for this episode But you know Just like many before If I decide to ramble on to some Memory of, of something I uh, I might just you know Take a moment I'm sure that's okay Yeah I'm sure it's okay Now I actually think about it I, I do have one It's a short one It's nothing Too large you know when you see something, you experience something, and, and you love it, you appreciate it, but when you see it through somebody else's eyes, you get to see it again for the first time? Does that make any sense? You ever watched a, a video with a friend, and it's your favorite video, and then you sit down and you watch it, and you hear them laugh for the first time, and then you look across, and they're laughing at the first time, and you're seeing the glimpse of what it was like for you to you know, watch that movie for the first time. I remember I was living in Melbourne for, you know, a few years and I travelled down from from Beruga when I was 18 to seek my fame and fortune. And I made friends, as you do, and I wanted to show them my world where I grew up. And so we drove, you know, all the way from Melbourne up to Beruga. And on a summer's afternoon, I would say it's about 4 o'clock, just when the light was transitioning from your normal day to to golden light. And trust me with this, Baruga does a very good golden light. If you haven't stood on the banks of the Murray or anywhere around that area during the golden light, it's about 4 p.m. In summer, it can go till about 9, you know, it's just golden, beautiful, beautiful fantastic you have the tall you know gum trees to shade yourself from the heat of the day and it really is magical i um i that was my everyday when i was growing up and so we were walking along one of the dirt tracks inside of the state forest and I was with my two friends evan and, and ron and what was really cool was I'm walking along and they just were in awe and they just stopped and said, Andrew, you grew up in this location? You grew up here? And I go, yeah. To this day, it was one of the greatest, you know, pivotal decisions that my parents ever made that sent me down this path of growing up in a a Huckleberry Finn lifestyle bit of an American reference, but you know what I mean, like just a, a lifestyle just in the country with sun and, and all that kind of stuff, and so, yeah, they they just were really thankful, we kept walking, made our way to uh, the Boulanguina Lagoon and we just saw the, the water flowing along, I tell you, the Murray River and the associated lagoons and creeks and things like that. It's technically called the Bologna Lagoon, but we called it the creek. It does a lazy, lazy meander very well. It really does. It is not rushing. There is no white water. There is no urgency. It's got a long way to go. It's traveled from the mountains where the rush was... Was on, where the, the water fell through the stones as the trouts swim across, it's been through the high country it's now in the you know the lower lands where it's going to take its time it's got, as I said, a long way to go it's going to make its way all along Victoria, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, how long is the Murray River bear with me for one second you don't mind hearing me type, do you? The Murray River. You know, I really should um not just type the word Murray River. I should type how long. Wow. Okay. the The Murray River, um, to which um on Google has four point six stars, mind you, um. Is two thousand five hundred and eight kilometers long. Let me do this. Uh, let me do the. Let me just do the quick conversion. Usually, it's divided by, you know, one point six. Um, but you know, I fully appreciate the fact that you're kicking back and relaxing, and you shouldn't. You don't need to do any math. Um, those geniuses right now that have already figured it out. Get ready to nod in appreciation as we now bond because I'm going to be saying the same number. And to those people that have Googled as well. But it's about 1,567 miles. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Let's do an impromptu mirror, um, uh, river length smackdown. Let's pick the Mississippi... How long is the... Mississippi River, thank you for auto-complete on the word Mississippi. Ooh, 5,970 kilometers or 3,710 miles. Well done, America. That's pretty impressive. Let's see if the Amazon can top you. How long is the Amazon River? Sorry, Mississippi. But the Amazon River is at least six sorry, six thousand four hundred kilometers and four thousand miles. And if we've all got, you know, sea averages in geography, we all know who the winner's gonna be. How long is the Nile River? not by much 4100 miles 6600 kilometers um quick run through just a big hi to our you know Japanese friends so the Shinahoa um river 370 kilometers the Ikaru river 286 kilometers um Wow they look beautiful though. Okay, so I'm looking at a series of Japanese rivers and so they may not be long, but they're certainly absolutely and utterly beautiful. Getting back to my story, it wasn't um, so the Murray River does an amazing, you know, just 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 a slow movement of water, by all means not stagnant but slow, and coupled with the ambience of the day. The, the the warmth of this of the air the the, the setting of the sun and you know that golden light do yourself a favour and just jump onto you know Google Images and just type the Murray River in the afternoon if you want to type in the word Baruga, B A R Murray River and the afternoon and you'll see oh yes yeah it's it's truly spectacular, so that's where we sat, and it's just the story of my friends and 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 taking that moment to appreciate something and seeing it for the first time, similar to when I was sitting at that table with my relatives and they were talking about this little thing we get to relax, so hi. I hope you are taking a moment for yourself and you're just relaxing you're breathing it in enjoying whatever you're doing driving along in the car and just taking those sights of your hometown or you're just driving to some you know, far away destination It'd be kind if you're sitting on a plane right now and you've got those hours and hours ahead of you where you can just relax and just do whatever you want or it's on the couch walking along you're at the apex of a bungee cord and you've just realised that you're about to now descend once again. And you're just taking a moment before you get pulled down by gravity. Just a a moment to yourself. I have some, here's actually some pretty cool news. Check this out. Big hi to the people down at the Tennessee Zoo. This is really cool. Let me, let me read this one to you. One of the rarest sites in the animal kingdom has appeared in an unlikely well, unlikely setting in the Tennessee Zoo. This story comes from. Let me give it the full full plug. Um, this story comes from the Guardian dot uh, com, so I'll link to that to so go through. Do check it out; it's pretty cool, and this one's yeah, it's it's actually it's pretty uplifting. So. They've hosted what um, is thought to be the world's most singularly colored giraffe. Didn't see that coming, did you? Oh no. You thought it was going to be some sort of found dog, maybe? A kitten stuck up a tree, things like that? No. Giraffe. And a singular spotted giraffe at that. So a female giraffe born on the 31st of July is a uniform brown colour, lacking any distinctive patched patterns that giraffes, along with their exceptional long necks, are known for. Bright's zoo said the giraffe is already six foot tall and is under the care of her mother at the zoo staff. The zoo believes the giraffe is one of a kind, given that giraffes are really born without their motted appearance, which primarily serves as a form of camouflage in the wild. Hmm, camouflage in the wild. That sounds like some... Well, you know, you might as well try something. If you're standing so tall, though, um, at the trees, then... Well, you know what, it's, 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 you, you've got some camouflage. Do me a favour, next time uh, you're on a safari and you clearly see some giraffes in the distance because they're massive and they stand out and they're taller than the trees. Just do me a favour. Can you just pretend you don't see them at all? Can you just, you know, Ooh, oh, where are those giraffes? They're so well hidden with their camouflage. Who are? So, you know, just turn the other way. I'm pretty sure if I was a giraffe and, and you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of work to... Well, not that I've done a lot of work, but, you know, I, I had the pattern. I was born with the pattern. The pattern and me are one. If I was, you know... If I was that, then I'd be pretty pretty happy if someone turned the other way, looked confused, started taking photos in a completely different direction. Oh no, is the giraffe over there or is it just a really tall stick? Obviously get the photos that you need to, things like that. But if you could just make the attempt, I think that would be great. I haven't done a safari and I'm, I'm going to um, next time. You know, for the camouflage. Just like the zebras, which one's David? I don't know. You know, oh my God, the patterns—they've confused me so. As they all stand together, I think they'd like that. They—that's what they're going for. You know, the pattern confusing thing. So, yeah, collectively, if you could just talk to the rest of the tour, you know, the the bus or something that you're on, um, and get worked up, and then just do that—that'll be—that'll be, that'd be kind of cool. I think the animals would really appreciate that. And then I'm sure they'd be telling everyone, Dave would be like, I was right in front. No one saw me. So good. And let's just go with Gus um, for the giraffe. And Annabelle, there we are. Annabelle just going, wow, this camouflage. I'm like a ninja... But really tall, I'm I'm absolutely certain that they would uh they would say that to all their friends. So you know. This one, however, doesn't have that. So I dare say it's very visible. And the zoo believes that the giraffe is one of a kind. Given that they are really born with their modelled appearance which primarily serves as a form of ca- camouflage in the wild Ooh, a japanese man lives um <sighs> sorry i do this thing where i'm um, i let me read the sentence and then I'll explain. Japanese man uh, lives dog's life in long-haired collie suit pictures. Read more. So I do this thing where I use Get Pocket. If you've never used Get Pocket before, it's a pretty cool website where it'll take a web service and it'll remove all the stuff and leave you with um, yeah, you know, the reading piece. I know that you know Safari and stuff, they kind of do that. But if you send it there, it's going to build you a list of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, I like to do it. You can just send, you know, websites there, and uh, there's there's you know, if you got like a really long article, um, a really long um, you know article or news or a long read, quote unquote, um, you can send it there. They've got an app, phone, tablet, whatever, and it will also show it there in a really cool way. But it'll also be able to download it. So if you're on the plane or something, um, you've got a list called reading material there. I like to do that because uh, it strips away all the, the blinking ads so it's easier, easier to read. And of course you've got the formatting of the you know, the fonts and stuff like that. Trouble is, you know, I, you have things like I'm reading about, you know, a uh, giraffe and then, well, Japanese man lives dog's life in hair-coloured collie suit, you, normally that would be clearly an ad. It's not. It's just a text. So, side note: um, at the Guardian, there's a website. Um, sorry, an article about how a Japanese man lives a dog's life. Good on him. Anyway, back to the giraffe. The skin under the spots also has a system of blood vessels. All right, get ready. This is gonna. One day, you're you're gonna be on a game show, and this question is going to come up, and you may, you may be like, "Hang on, Andrew, why would they? You know, this show this show come up? Well, this." Sorry, why would this question come up on the game show? Well, clearly, clearly the, the, the news articles, is, this is something that's popped up. And someone's thought, uh-huh. Now, I'm not talking the $1,000 questions, but like, you know, the quarter of a million, five hundred million questions. It's going to be about giraffes and blood vessels. And well, today is your lucky day, because now you're going to know. Um, I should say a disclaimer, I'm not... I'm not at any way a profession in relation to this, and I'm actually a barely average fact giver, so please check your own facts before answering the million-dollar question and possibly getting it wrong. You know what? No, I take that back. You are going to get it right. And when you do, if you could just do a plug for the podcast, that'd be great. In fact, you probably don't even have to wait until you're on a game show and you've won a million dollars, and you're like, "Yes, thanks to Comfy Place, I answered this correctly." You, if you actually, it'd be great if you could just jump onto iTunes and give me a, you know, a five stars, or whichever, you know, where you get podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, whatever, and write a review. That would be actually really cool if you could. I'd love you. Anyway, let me continue. So the Bright Zoo said it hoped for the unusual birth will help highlight the challenges faced by giraffes in the world. They're the world's tallest animal um, and is threatened by fragmentation of its habitat in Africa, as well as from illicit poaching. The international coverage of our um, patternless baby giraffe has created a much needed spot life um, on the Giraffe Conservatory, uh, the founder of the Bright Zoo, Tony Bright said bet you that's no accident. I bet you that is no accident. Founder, Tony Bright's, Bright Zoo. I just thought it was about the amount of light bulbs they used, but clearly his last name is Bright. Bet you he was teased as a kid, but he overcome that and now he runs a zoo. Moving on said the local television news station WCYB. Wilds' population are silently slipping into extinction with 40% of the wilds' giraffe population lost in just the last three decades. Bit of a downer. The zoo has announced a contest for the public to name the new giraffe. The shortlisted options are kipiki, which usually means unique in Swahili. Uh, f- apologies for the pronunciations of these, by the way. ferali which means unusual. Shark. Kiri, which means she is most beautiful. Jamela, which is one of the great beauty. I will follow this to find out what name um, it's given. I really hope it's not Giraffe McGiraffe Face because there's a there's a there's there's an alarming rate of names being called something McSomething Face. And then, of course, they go to the internet and the internet does what the internet does and before you know it, it's Giraffe McGiraffe Face. So I like these choices so far they sound fantastic. And um yeah I really hope that uh that a wonderful name is chosen. But right now there's there's a giraffe there with no patterns singular go to there I'll link it in the um on the website uh, comfypaceplacepodcast.com uh, you can or just google it and you'll be able to see the patternless giraffe. And again, when you see a drive, you know, in the wild or on a, uh, one of those tours, just pretend. Pretend that you can't see it. I really think that they it will absolutely and utterly make their day. This next piece of news comes from uh, Canada, uh, British Columbia. Now, before I continue, quick question. Do you like... Zombie stories. I'm not a big horror guy because, you know, just, just not a thing. Um, zombie stories, though. Oh, man. Oh, just 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 line me up. That being said, I'm not a big fan of when the zombies, you know, the people in, in the, the zombie uh, shows are complete nut idiots for people walking along, making loud noises. Oh, no, why are zombies on us? Things like that. There was a story called the Mountain man um set in Canada of all places um a story about a man who in a post apocalyptic world was dealing with the you know the the fall of the world um it sort of happened about a year or two after the big you know thing um dealing with it by not dealing with it um dare i say he was an absolute not Raging alcoholic, raging, and so I've read the Mountain Man series. I absolutely loved it. It's zombie survival, meets at least at the start, um, castaway because it has the whole thing of being alone and, and isolation and, and dealing with it and all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, the story expands, it doesn't stay that way. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but it expands, as most stories do. You can't just stay with a single person not talking to anyone ever again. And because um, eventually you'll just be dragging through and grinding to a halt, and it'll be utterly boring. It has to go somewhere. It does. Oh, my God. It does. And so, like, the seventh book came out recently, and... I was um able to read it. When I say able to read it, it's easy to read it. I just bought it and downloaded it. I was able to actually speak to the the author, uh, Keith C. Blackmore. Um and yeah, I was able to talk to him. Um, messaged him there was a thing about buying a book and it didn't the link didn't work. And he wrote back and so I had this moment where it's like, Oh my God. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've just had a an exchange with someone that you know you've you've just you've lost your cool just a little bit just a smidge maybe you shrieked a little maybe the the it went up an octave maybe you asked a bunch of questions that you later on really 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 regret and then later on you just sort of Saying to yourself, "Oh my god," and just cringing, and you want to, yeah, dig that proverbial hole and just climb in and shovel the dirt on top of you and stuff like that. Um, I had that. I've been there, and I was able to share the story uh, with Keith, uh, C Blackmore. Um, writers are my thing. If I ever meet my favorite writers, I just I just lose my stuff. Just just yeah, I really do. And one day, I was able to. Uh, call in starting work in the morning it was about 7 o'clock in the morning I don't know why I was in at work early but I was and on the national radio show uh, in Australia it's called Triple J um the radio is on, and in one of those cliches that you get only in the world of movies, which is, you know, the moment that they turn on, like, the TV or the radio or something, and just then it's exactly the, the content they need to see or hear to move the story forward is happening, like, right then. Like, the timing is incredible. Um, it never happens in real life, but, of course, in movies they can't, you know, have the person just doing nothing for two hours while they wait for that content to come on so yeah Um, it was in one of those cliche ways, radio went on, there it is, call now to speak to Terry Pratchett I am a huge Terry Pratchett fan um, huge and unapologetic uh, his gift to the world with the amount of books that he has written um, how many books, sorry there's a lot of typing today but I've been told that the sound is therapeutic. I've actually been asked to do like just a podcast episode where I just do my working and I keep talking. Maybe I will. I'll we'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll do this random episode where I just do that, and then you can let me know whether it's a, you know, it's a good idea or not. Um, you can do that by the way. Uh, uh comfy place podcast. There's a contact section. You can come say hi. It goes directly to me. Um, and so, um, be able to see it. But yeah, anyway, so a lot of typing. How many books has Terry Pratchett written? There is a lot. 41 in total. I think there's a couple of other, um, you know, books. With other series and things like that, but he based it on this thing called the Discworld, which is his own world. And he wrote forty-one books. Now, um, if you're not a Terry Pratchett fan, and I won't, you know, turn this into a Terry Pratchett nerd out session, but he um has built this world and in that world there is there's multiple series which happen in that the universe, which is the 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 um yeah, it is the uh, it is the universe. I found, I ended up um just absolutely and utterly falling in love with with him, and his writing. I was uh, working and I take like a lunch break, and I went to the mall for you know just to get some lunch. I know, right? Spoiler, shocker alert. Anyway, there was like a cool bookshop that was half bookshop half copy shop. And so you can literally go in. It's a bit of a gamble, but I'm pretty sure it paid off. Well, actually, anyway, at the time it paid off. You can go in, order a coffee, sit down, grab a book, read the book. And if you wanted to, put the book back on the shelf and walk out. It feels kind of wrong. It felt kind of edgy. Oh, yeah. Am I a badass for doing this? I think so, in a really mild kind of way. It's kind of like when you order, um, you know, like a hot pizza and it's it's not hot at all, and then you eat it and go, yeah, I can eat spicy food. It's not even spicy, but you've ordered something spicy on the label and it says spicy, and then you eat it. And like, I can eat it. So this is like, is this really bad? Is this really, you know, out there? I think it is, in a not out there kind of way. So I'd go in grab the coffee, sit down, grab the book. It was called Monstrous Regiment. And I can't sort of talk about the book without giving any any spoilers away. Um, but I think on the cover, um, it's actually a story of a young girl. She's off to war. And she's off to war because... All the men have gone off to war. This war's been going on for years and years and years, and eventually, all the men have you know gone off to war, and they're they're running out of men. So they they're now enlisting for men. She's going to go find her brother, and it's the story of that. And so I I started to to read the story, and she's worried that she's going to get found out uh, whether she's a you know a female or not, because they obviously don't take females, and the, the army is only just just miles. and so it's a story of that. And so I would read, you know, not that much. Put it back. Next day, come in, coffee. Continue on. Make a note, which is the page number. And slowly I was reading a book. It's like and then I started asking myself, Is this kind of stealing? I don't know. Anyway, the guild got to me, I ended up buying the book. Um and I've been a massive Terry Pratchett fan ever since. So, gone through all the the books. Um, All of a sudden, you have a chance to ask Terry Pratchett a question, call now. They say the number, I pick up the phone, I dial. I really haven't taken much time to think about this because, well, if you do, then 13,000 people are gonna call ahead of you. So I'm like, call, bang. Triple J, what's your question for Terry Pratchett? I lock up. Uh, 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 Um, I'm not proud of this. I'm really not proud of this. This is not, this is, this is not the greatest question you could ask one of your, your absolute heroes. Seriously, someone who sits down and writes a world legends. Anyway, um, please don't judge me. This, this is a safe place, right? Yeah. You've already written your review, yeah, this is five stars, yeah, it's already locked in. you know you've hit submit. I'm just gonna give you a moment just to finish this off and hit submit before i I tell you this one, okay, you've hit submit good stuff, dead said legend, okay, I ask them if Terry Pratchett was a freemason i t- i I anyway. She writes it down in that way of, you know, okay, fine, I, I get asked all these questions all day. So she writes it down and she says, please hold on and bang. And I'm holding on. So I desperately try to think of another question. Um, Now, uh, before I... You might hear a train go by. Sorry, a little segue, but I've just heard the two and you might hear it and I don't want to edit it out because it sounds fantastic. There is a steam train that's going past um, the area where I live, and it's been going through, and it's been happening for about a week now. I don't know why. I'm pretty sure I could Google it, but I don't want to know why. I just want to live in the world where the sound of steam trains echo through the towns. Um, I think it's fantastic. So every now and then we hear the sound of the, the steam train going through. So... I hope I hope it you can hear it in the microphones. I'm not too sure. So anyway, side note. I get put through to the uh, to the desk. I'm on the phone in the desk. I'm live on air. Oh, did I mention that Triple J is a nationwide radio station? Yeah, it goes everywhere. Um, everywhere, millions of people listening to it. I'm realizing this. Um, the room I was standing in really felt very big, cavernous, and empty whilst I'm listening to this DJ person say, hi, you're on the radio with Terry Pratchett with his new book coming out. You have a question for Terry Pratchett. She knows the question because they obviously get written because they screen this stuff to make sure that idiots don't call through with stupid questions. I must have been borderline. Must have been. I can see and hear all of the questions from other die-hard Terry Pratchett fans he's incredibly successful writer um, mind you I think he's second only to JK Rowling um, many books as Terry uh, Pratchett sold like let's just get a bit of a thing here yeah eight, um 85 million sold, 37 different languages his books are translated into his actual name is sent whenever you you, um, you search for something and there's a whole networking um, you know, networking thing, Actually, I need to do this properly, sorry uh, Terry Pratchett name internet, check this out take a note Mental note. Okay. Um, Terry Pratchett passed away. So I was never actually able to meet him and uh, apologize um, to this. But I was on the radio show and I asked him this question and I said, "Um, Hi, Terry. Andrew here. I'm a massive fan. Um, I was wondering, are you a Freemason? I can hear that steam train noise. The whistle. There was a pause. In radio terms, it must have been forever. Um, They don't like dead air. And then in a very Terry Pratchett kind way, he said, no, I'm not a Freemason. Um, I don't know why you would ask that. Um, I know a little about a lot of organizations to write about them. And then he went on on one of his answers, which was very nice. He he, could have been a lot worse. But he was talking about how it was you know he was uh, he knows a little bit about professionals to to ask about you know various characters and and secret organizations It was there was a book that sort of looked like a bit of a secret organization um and yeah, and so i I asked that um I was actually a freemason for a while. And that, don't, please don't freak out. I was, I, I, my grandfather passed away, and I was really curious because it's the Freemasons, and you, you, you'll, you know. I was interested. Um, it's literally just a bunch of dudes getting together, talking about stuff. And I was, a, I was, I think I was a 21 year old, and I thought it would be cool. But what it really was was getting together and and talking at length about reading some things, um, at night, and it really wasn't for me. So I got a bit of experience on the whole Freemason thing. Um, there was no secret order, there was no secret running of business. I thought that'd be kinda cool. Um, um I'm pretty sure it's, it's like they the guys there would would love it. They thought it was great. They'd get together in, you know, social settings and all that kind of jazz. Um, I really realized that it wasn't for me. Um and so I sort of heard that. I got the, the little bit of a of a, of a you know a thing about what I heard from from being Freemasons, and I've sort of put two and two together, and I got nine. I thought he was a Freemason. He he wasn't, unless he was being secret about it. Huh? Didn't think of that. No, he's not. Anyway, um, he he was really kind, and he 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 uh, yeah, he he got me out of it. His name. Is um, echoing around the internet though. Um, so, when he passed away, um, it, this is an article from Wide. Um, a tremendous sense of loss rippled through um, um, his dedicated fan base. Now, a group of fans uh, are turning to code in an effort to keep the author alive. One of his books, um, it all started in endearing tribute, um, drawing on Pratchett's best love books. There was a book called Going Postal. In the novel, the telegraph style system known as the Clacks quote unquote, was used to pass a name of a deceased character endlessly back and forth, uh, keeping his memory alive. Uh, where the book um, had uh, Gnu John Dehart, the prefix um, being of basic code to instruct the Claxman to pass it on, not file and to return the message the internet gave us gnu terry pratchett so essentially the same thing so inside of the uh yeah so so a post on reddit initially drew the idea um as a way of keeping the writer's name permanently flotation on the internet an echo chamber of gnu terry pratchett post followed but that wasn't enough soon a dedicated thread appeared where users started posting actual code to embed our websites um it doesn't do much. It simply causes the phrase, Gnu Terry Pratchett, to appear in headers on the background data of pages. Um, but it's a wonderful, appropriate, and uh, strangely poetic way to keep his name alive. So when you go to websites and stuff, this bit's here, and it'll zip around the internet and keep his name alive. So, yeah, massive fan um, called him up and <laughs> and made an absolute an utter... Of myself, but he was awesome and he was great, and so I was able to share the story with him. Um, obviously, won't go into too much detail on that, but at the question at the end, I went, Well, so I you're a Freemason, so yeah. But this story takes place in Canada. FYI, I definitely download the um and buy the the Mountain Man series. You're in for a crazy ride, best zombie book around. This one is actually a story about how a building was saved from demolition. It was a 111-year-old Vancouver schoolhouse actually sails to a new home. Okay, so Yellow Schoolhouse at Henry Hudson Elementary finds a new home in the North Shore um, with the Squamish Nation. This uh, story you can find at cbc.ca. Um, and I'll put the link inside of the websites as well to check it out. You'll get a picture of the house. Um, and the building, and spoiler alert, it looks like a building. Okay, the bright yellow schoolhouse in Vancouver. Oh, God, apologies for the pronunciation. Kitsalano. that uh, Neighbourhood has been saved from demolition by a Squamish nation, which moved the entire building to its new home by the barge. The old Henry Hudson building at the corner of uh, Cornwall Avenue and Maple Street was going to be knocked down to make way for a new elementary school best intentions but the nation stepped forward to preserve and relocation it uh, so it can be used as a school for Saskatchewan or Capella Reserve I'm relieved and excited says Lynn Lewin uh, with renewal, um, renewal home development who pushed for months to have the school repurposed and relocated to another community I won't even attempt a Canadian accent. Um, I love fellow Canadians. I love other people around there. I cannot do it. And I refuse to do the old, um. you know, uh, new dude, it, sorry, you know, that type of stuff. Won't do it. Won't go there. Um, it's kind of equivalent to someone saying, doing the Australian accent. That sounds terribly cliche. Um, you know, like, oh, I'm a registered bookmaker from Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, well, let's just not do that. So let's, I'll, I'll continue. And we will all have a little shred of dignity to go about our day. We're proving um, this little yellow schoolhouse. There are more reasonable, sustainable pathways to removing a building. We shouldn't just be bulldozing everything just because it's the, the easy thing to do. Lewis said the schoolhouse project is a victory for the community of um, people pushing developers construction companies and other organizations to favor more sustainable building practices instead of what he described as demolition first paradigm in a growing city desperate for quick development i generally support the densification of sorry I he says i generally support the densification of the region one word changes the meaning so much and i understand why we're doing this The challenge is that uh, the process to densify our region is unbelievably wasteful, says Lewis. In a statement to the Squamish Nation, said the building would meet the nation's urgent infrastructure needs. The building will be modernised and repurposed by the nation as a centre for early childhood education and will teach the Saskatchewan young ones the Saskatchewan language. Sorry, the Squamish language. I begin apologies doing my best, Squamish Nation, it said. So on Tuesday 10pm, a team with with Nickel Bros, House Movers, put the entire schoolhouse on a trailer. Its journey saw a crawl of a few blocks west to the Kitsalo Beach from the following three hours. It then loaded onto a barge around 4am Wednesday. The vessel set off for English Bay an hour later waiting for high tide before going around the north of Stanley Park and under the Lionsgate Bridge in mid-afternoon. It was due to land on the North Shore by Wednesday evening and be moored near the Lionsgate Bridge until Thursday before being taken to the permanent location on the reserve. It will be an incredible sight, said Lewis. He said Wednesday was chosen As moving day because it would be the highest tide of the year. You do not want to miss that. I am no naval captain. No, no, no. I'm not. Nor am I an admiral. But I pretty much know that you need to sail with the tide. Why? Because I've just seen lots of references in movies and I assume it makes sense. Again, it's going to shock you. I'm not a captain. Or and Admiral. Lewis said he connected with the Squamish nation entirely by chance. During a conversation, Bob Sokol, the National Director of Planning and Capital Projects, mentioned the community was looking to start a new school to teach children the Squamish language and the wider culture. I said, well, Bob, Would you be interested in saving, relocating and repurposing this little yellow schoolhouse from the Henry Henry Hudson Elementary? And Bob got really excited about the idea. Well, yeah, you go, Bob. Bob, you've just made the beer list. That's right. And for Australian, that is a big deal. Actually, no, we'll buy a beer for anyone. But I really want to buy a beer for, for this guy, Bob. Like, yeah, Australians will buy a beer for anyone it's called a shout and we'll do it you walk into a bar you look kind of thirsty bang an Australian will plonk a beer down um, you don't even have to like a beer you do have to be over 18 ish yeah we love it we love buying beer for everyone five months later the plan was in place. The move cost $150,000. Just over half of that budget, $80,000, was coming from money for the Vancouver School Board had set aside to tear the schoolhouse down. Well, there you go. And a statement of the VSB confirmed that it cancelled demolition after hearing from the Squamish Nation this spring. It said that it originally decided to knock the building down because it was in extremely poor condition, quote unquote with again quotation outdated systems that would be cost prohibitive for the districts to update or maintain fair enough the original structure was built in 1912 and a manual training school where students could learn to practical skills and crafts like metal and woodworking according to the heritage of vancouver it was going to be torn down as part of the school board's seismic micro- uh, mitigation program but lewis said the building was an ideal candidate for repurposing. It sounds like an ideal candidate for repurposing. That's me talking here. I'm seeing the photos. You should go to the website. Check it out. It looks like an ideal candidate for repurposing. We confirmed that it was in good condition. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's barely 110 years old. It's spring chicken. But it's got a beautiful first growth beams in it and a lot of systems were upgraded in the last 15 years, he said. It would be a shame to demolish it. So Lewis said the builders have three sustainable options before tearing the building down, infill or build around it, relocate, repurpose, or dismantle it carefully to salvage the materials. He said the VSB considered the infill option, but it was ruled out. So they relocated the whole building and it looks great. Again, you've got a picture sitting there at the um at the docks and in the barge and whatnot, so go check it out. It's pretty cool. So yeah. That's the, um, that's the story. (sighs) All right. Well, I really appreciate you, um, you listening in and you continue to take some time out for yourself to, to kick back and relax. This podcast episode was produced by David St. Hubbins. Mm -hmm. Um, executive Editor is Nigel Tufnell. Senior Mixer is Derek Smalls. Head of Fact Checking is Greg Bissonette. And Sound Designer was Timmy T. Thank you for listening. If you can leave that rating and the five star, that would be great. Otherwise, I'll see you for the next episode of Comfy Place.